"'See here, sister,' she said, looking at Mrs. Deard, as she set the tray on the table. "'I thought, perhaps, if you looked at the teapot again, it's a good while since you saw it. You might like the pattern better. It makes beautiful tea, and there's a stand and everything. You might use it for every day, or else lay it by for Lucy when she goes to housekeeping.' "'I should be so loath for em to buy it at the Golden Lion,' said the poor woman, her heart swelling and the tears coming. "'My teapot as I bought when I was married, and to think of its being scratched, and set before the travellers and folks, and my letters on it. See here, E.D., and everybody to see em. "'Ah, dear, dear,' said Aunt Pullet, shaking her head with deep sadness. It's very bad to think of the family initials going about everywhere. It never was so before. You're a very unlucky sister, Bessie. But what's the use of buying the teapot when there's the linen and spoons and everything to go, and some of them with your full name, and when it's got that straight spout too? As to disgrace of the family, said Mrs. Glegg, that can't be helped with buying teapots. The disgrace is for one of the family to have married a man as has brought her to beggary. The disgrace is as they're to be sold up. We can't hinder the country from knowing that. Maggie had started up from the sofa at the allusion to her father, but Tom saw her action and flushed face in time to prevent her from speaking. "'Be quiet, Maggie,' he said authoritatively, pushing her aside. It was a remarkable manifestation of self-command and practical judgment in a lad of fifteen, that when his aunt Glegg ceased, he began to speak in a quiet and respectful manner, though with a good deal of trembling in his voice, for his mother's words had cut him to the quick. "'Then, aunt,' he said, looking straight at Mrs. Glegg, if you'd think it's a disgrace to the family that we should be sold up, wouldn't it be better to prevent it altogether? And if you and Aunt Pullet, he continued, looking at the latter, think of leaving any money to me and Maggie, wouldn't it be better to give it now and pay the debt we're going to be sold up for and save my mother from parting with her furniture? There was a silence for a few moments, for every one, including Maggie, was astonished at Tom's sudden manliness of tone. Uncle Glegg was the first to speak. Aye, aye, young man, come now. You show some notion of things, but there's the interest you must remember. Your aunts get five per cent on their money, and they'd lose that if they advanced it. You haven't thought of that. I could work and pay that every year, said Tom promptly. I'd do anything to save my mother from parting with her things. Well done, said Uncle Glegg admiringly. He had been drawing Tom out, rather than reflecting on the practicability of his proposal, but he had produced the unfortunate result of irritating his wife. Yes, Mr. Glegg, said that lady with angry sarcasm. It's pleasant work for you to be giving my money away, as you pretended to leave at my own disposal. And my money, 
as was my own father's gift and not yours, Mr. Glegg, and I've saved it, and added to it myself, and had more to put out almost every year. And it's to go and be sunk in other folks' furniture, and encourage em in luxury and extravagance, as they've no means of supporting. And I'm to alter my will, or have a codicil made, and leave two or three hundred less behind me when I die, me as have always done right and been careful, and the eldest of the family, and my money's to go and be squandered on them as have had the same chance as me, only they've been wicked and wasteful. Sister Pullet, you may do as you like, and you may let your husband rob you back again of the money he's given you, but that isn't my spirit. La Jane, how fiery you are, said Mrs. Pullet. I'm sure you'll have the blood in your head and have to be cupped. I'm sorry for Bessie and her children. I'm sure I think of them o' nights dreadful, for I sleep very bad with this new medicine. But it's no use for me to think o' doing anything if you won't meet me halfway. Why, there's this to be considered, said Mr. Glegg. It's no use to pay off this debt and save the furniture when there's all the law debts behind as you'd take every shilling, and more than could be made out of the land and stock, for I've made that out from Lawyer Gore. We'd need save our money to keep the poor man with, instead of spending it on furniture, as he can neither eat nor drink. You will be so hasty, Jane, as if I didn't know what was reasonable. Then speak accordingly, Mr. Glegg, said his wife, with slow, loud emphasis, bending her head toward him significantly. Tom's countenance had fallen during this conversation, and his lip quivered, but he was determined not to give way. He would behave like a man. Maggie, on the contrary, after a momentary delight in Tom's speech, had relapsed into a state of trembling indignation. Her mother had been standing close by Tom's side, and had been clinging to his arm ever since he had last spoken. Maggie suddenly started up and stood in front of them, her eyes flashing like the eyes of a young lioness. "'Why do you come, then?' she burst out, talking and interfering with us and scolding us. "'If you don't mean to do anything to help my poor mother, your own sister, if you've no feeling for her when she's in trouble,' and won't part with anything, though you would never miss it, to save her from pain. Keep away from us, then, and don't come to find fault with my father. He was better than any of you. He was kind. He would have helped you, if you had been in trouble. Tom and I don't ever want to have any of your money, if you won't help my mother. We'd rather not have it. We'll do without you." Maggie, having hurled her defiance at aunts and uncles in this way, stood still, with her large dark eyes glaring at them, as if she were ready to await all consequences. Mrs. Tulliver was frightened. There was something portentous in this mad outbreak. She did not see how life could go on after it. Tom was vexed. It was no use to talk so. The aunts were silent with surprise for some moments. At length, in a case of aberration such as this, 
Comment presented itself as more expedient than any answer. You haven't seen the end of your trouble with that child, Bessie, said Mrs. Pullet. She's beyond everything for boldness and unthankfulness. It's dreadful. I might have let alone paying for her schooling, for she's worse nor ever. It's no more than what I've always said, followed Mrs. Glegg. Other folks may be surprised, but I'm not. I've said over and over again, years ago, I've said, mark my words, that child'll come to no good. There isn't a bit of our family in her. And as for her having so much schooling, I never thought well of that. I'd my reasons when I said I wouldn't pay anything toward it. Come, come, said Mr. Glegg, let's waste no more time in talking. Let's go to business. Tom now, get the pen and ink. While Mr. Glegg was speaking, a tall dark figure was seen hurrying past the window. Why, there's Mrs. Moss, said Mrs. Tulliver. The bad news must have reached her then, and she went out to open the door, Maggie eagerly following her. That's fortunate, said Mrs. Glegg. She can agree to the list of things to be bought in. It's but right she should do her share when it's her own brother. Mrs. Moss was in too much agitation to resist Mrs. Tulliver's movement, as she drew her into the parlour automatically, without reflecting that it was hardly kind to take her among so many persons in the first painful moment of arrival. The tall, worn, dark-haired woman was a strong contrast to the Dotson sisters as she entered in her shabby dress, with her shawl and bonnet looking as if they had been hastily huddled on, and with that entire absence of self-consciousness which belongs to keenly felt trouble. Maggie was clinging to her arm, and Mrs. Moss seemed to notice no one else except Tom, whom she went straight up to and took by the hand. Oh, my dear children, she burst out, you've no call to think well of me. I'm a poor aunt to you, for I'm one of them as take all and give nothing. How's my poor brother? Mr. Turnbull thinks he'll get better, said Maggie. Sit down, Aunt Gritty, don't fret. Oh, my sweet child, I felt torn in two, said Mrs. Moss allowing Maggie to lead her to the sofa, but still not seeming to notice the presence of the rest. We've three hundred pounds of my brother's money, and now he wants it, and you all want it, poor things, and yet we must be sold up to pay it, and there's my poor children, eight of them, and the little un of all can't speak plain, and I feel as if I was a robber. But I'm sure I'd no thought as my brother. The poor woman was interrupted by a rising sob. Three hundred pounds? Oh, dear, dear, said Mrs. Tulliver, who, when she had said that her husband had done unknown things for his sister, had not had any particular sum in her mind, and felt a wife's irritation at having been kept in the dark. What madness, to be sure, said Mrs. Glegg. A man with a family, he'd no right to lend his money in that way, and without security, I'll be bound if the truth was known. Mrs. Glegg's voice had arrested Mrs. Moss's attention, 
and looking up, she said, Yes, there was a security. My husband gave a note for it. We're not that sort of people, neither of us, as you'd rob my brother's children, and we looked to paying back the money when the times got a bit better. Well, but now, said Mr. Glegg gently, hasn't your husband no way of raising this money? Because it'd be a little fortin like for these folks if we can do without Tulliver's being made a bankrupt. Your husband's got stock. It is but right he should raise the money, as it seems to me, not but what I'm sorry for you, Mrs. Moss. Oh, sir, you don't know what bad luck my husband's had with his stock. The farm's suffering so as never was for want of stock, and we've sold all the wheat, and we're behind with our rent, not but what we'd like to do what's right, and I'd sit up and work half the night, if it'd be any good. But there's them poor children, four of em such little uns. Don't cry so, aunt, don't fret, whispered Maggie, who had kept hold of Mrs. Moss's hand. Did Mr. Tulliver let you have the money all at once? said Mrs. Tulliver, still lost in the conception of things which had been going on without her knowledge. No, at twice, said Mrs. Moss, rubbing her eyes, and making an effort to restrain her tears. The last was after my bad illness four years ago, as everything went wrong, and there was a new note made then. What with illness and bad luck, I've been nothing but cumber all my life. Yes, Mrs. Moss, said Mrs. Glegg with decision, yours is a very unlucky family, the more's the pity for my sister. I set off in the cart as soon as I ever heard of what had happened, said Mrs. Moss, looking at Mrs. Tulliver. I should never have stayed away all this while, if you'd thought well to let me know. And it isn't as I'm thinking all about ourselves, and nothing about my brother, only the money was so on my mind. I couldn't help speaking about it. And my husband and me desire to do the right thing, sir, she added, looking at Mr. Gleek and we'll make shift and pay the money, come what will, if that's all my brother's got to trust to. We've been used to trouble, and don't look for much else. It's only the thought of my poor children pulls me in too. Why, there's this to be thought on, Mrs. Moss, said Mr. Glee, and it's right to warn you. If Tulliver's made a bankrupt, and he's got a note of hand of your husband's for three hundred pounds, You'll be obliged to pay it. The assignees'll come on you for it. Oh dear, oh dear, said Mrs. Tulliver, thinking of the bankruptcy, and not of Mrs. Moss's concern in it. Poor Mrs. Moss herself listening in trembling submission, while Maggie looked with bewildered distress at Tom, to see if he showed any signs of understanding this trouble, and caring about poor Aunt Moss. Tom was only looking thoughtful, with his eyes on the tablecloth. And if he isn't made bankrupt, continued Mr. Glegg, as I said before, three hundred pounds ought be a little fortin for him, poor man. We don't know but what he may be partly helpless, if he ever gets up again. I'm very sorry if it goes hard with you, Mrs. Moss, but my opinion is, looking at it in one way, It'll be right for you to raise the money, and looking at it in the other way, you'll be obliged to pay it. 
You won't think ill of me speaking the truth. Uncle, said Tom, looking up suddenly from his meditative view of the tablecloth, I don't think it would be right for my Aunt Moss to pay the money if it would be against my father's will for her to pay it, would it? Mr. Glegg looked surprised for a moment or two before he said, Why, no, perhaps not, Tom, but then he'd have to destroy the note, you know. We must look for the note. What makes you think it'd be against his will? Why, said Tom, colouring but trying to speak firmly, in spite of a boyish tremor. I remember quite well before I went to school to Mr. Stelling. My father said to me one night when we were sitting by the fire together, and no one else was in the room. Tom hesitated a little, and then went on. He said something to me about Maggie, and then he said, I've always been good to my sister, though she married against my will, and I've lent Moss money, but I shall never think of distressing him to pay it. I'd rather lose it. My children must not mind being the poorer for that, and now my father's ill, and not able to speak for himself, I shouldn't like anything to be done contrary to what he said to me. Well, but then, my boy, said Uncle Glegg, whose good feeling led him to enter into Tom's wish, but who could not at once shake off his habitual abhorrence of such recklessness as destroying securities, or alienating anything important enough to make an appreciable difference in a man's property. We should have to make way with the note, you know, if we're to guard against what may happen, supposing your father's made bankrupt. Mr. Glegg, interrupted his wife severely, mind what you're saying. You're putting yourself very forward in other folks' business. If you speak rash, don't say it was my fault. That's such a thing as I never heard of before, said Uncle Pullet, who had been making haste with his lozenge in order to express his amazement. Making away with the note, I should think anybody could set the constable on you for it. Well, but, said Mrs. Tulliver, if the note's worth all that money, why can't we pay it away and save my things from going away? We've no call to meddle with your uncle and Aunt Moss, Tom, if you think your father'd be angry when he gets well. Mrs. Tulliver had not studied the question of exchange, and was straining her mind after original ideas on the subject. Poo, 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 you women don't understand these things, said Uncle Glegg. There's no way of making it safe for Mr. and Mrs. Moss but destroying the note. Then I hope you'll help me do it, Uncle, said Tom earnestly. If my father shouldn't get well, I should be very unhappy to think anything had been done against his will that I could hinder. And I'm sure he meant me to remember what he said that evening. I ought to obey my father's wish about his property. Even Mrs. Glegg could not withhold her approval from Tom's word. She felt that the Dodson blood was certainly speaking in him, though if his father had been a Dodson, there would never have been this wicked alienation of money. Maggie would hardly have restrained herself from leaping on Tom's neck 
If her Aunt Moss had not prevented her by herself rising and taking Tom's hand, while she said, with a rather choked voice, "'You'll never be the poorer for this, my dear boy. If there's a God above, and if the money's wanted for your father, Moss and me all pay it, the same as if there was ever such security. We'll do as we'd be done by, for if my children have got no other luck, they've got an honest father and mother.' "'Well,' said Mr. Glegg, who had been meditating after Tom's words, "'we shouldn't be doing any wrong by the creditors. "'Supposing your father was bankrupt. "'I've been thinking of that, "'for I've been a creditor myself "'and seen no end of cheating. "'If he meant to give your aunt the money "'before ever he got into this sad work alluring, "'he's the same as if he'd made way with the note himself, "'for he'd made up his mind to be that much poorer.' "'But there's a deal of things to be considered, young man,' Mr. Glegg added, looking admonishingly at Tom. "'When you come to money business, and you may be taking one man's dinner away to make another man's breakfast, you don't understand that, I doubt.' "'Yes, I do,' said Tom decidedly. "'I know if I owe money to one man, I've no right to give it to another.' but if my father had made up his mind to give my aunt the money before he was in debt, he had a right to do it. Well done, young man. I don't think you'd been so sharp, said Uncle Glegg, with much candor. But perhaps your father did make away with the note. Let us go and see if we can find it in the chest. It's in my father's room. Let us go too, Aunt Gritty, whispered Maggie. End of Book 3, Chapter 3